Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Most everyone has a story about working with a terrible manager. Sometimes it seems, sadly, that they are legion, right? But we are going to talk about the one single thing that differentiates an amazing manager from the rest of them. The ability to set and communicate crystal clear expectations. And we're going to do that by watching the 12th episode of the first season of Deep Space Nine, Vortex. A group of Miradorn are visiting Deep Space Nine, and Odo, the security constable, is convinced they're up to no good and Quark is involved. He also notes someone that was brought in from the Gamma Quadrant, Croden, tends to be quiet and avoids eye contact, but again, Odo is sure Quark is somehow tied to that, too. How is it you've come to know him so well? Man comes in for a drink. He wants to talk. Quark gets defensive just as the Miradorn come into his bar. Immediately, these are interesting aliens right out of the gate. They appear identical and seem to be moving kind of more or less in tandem. Quark begs off Odo and preps some drinks. In a hollow suite, at least I I think it's a hollow suite. Anyway, in a in a side room, Quark is working a deal with the Miradorn. Turns out Odo is right. The deal goes south when this Croden guy walks in with some kind of phaser. That's a knife. That's a knife. And tries to steal the artifact Quark was trying to sell. He kills one of the Miradorn in the process. Odo appears basically out of nowhere. You see, he's a he's a shapeshifter and he turned himself into one of the drink glasses that were brought into the room. So he turns into himself, breaks up the fight, and arrests Croden and Quark. The surviving Miradorn goes to Commander Sisko. He explains the connection that twinned Miradorn have. Together, we are a single self, two halves of one being. He is broken and wants nothing less than vengeance. Sisko refuses and says that Croden will face justice on the station. The Miradorn swears that he will live to see Croden dead 
as he returns to his ship. He shows up a few more times, advocating to get his hands on Croden, barricading Odo's office, and monitoring all ship traffic to and from the wormhole. Eventually, Quark is released. There's not quite enough evidence to hold him, but Odo is going to keep his eye on him. He is still very skeptical. Sisko and Odo question Croden, and in that, he shares info that's very important to Odo. I've never heard of a changeling with such versatility. A what? Fun note, that's the first time we've heard that word to describe Odo. It eventually becomes synonymous with him and his people from here forward, but at this point now, first time. Kind of cool. Well, Odo is hooked. He wants nothing more than to know his heritage, and this dude seems to know stuff. Sisko wants to reach out to Croden's people. They've never had official first contact, and he's concerned about homicide being the reason to meet. Hi, Eric Stratton, Rush Chairman. Damn glad to meet you. He and Dax get on a runabout and head for his home planet. They reach out, and we get introduced to a theme that's going to pop up a lot in future episodes of this series, specifically with the Cardassians. And that is that trials are for show only. The conviction is already in place, and that's the way these people work. We also learn that Croden is an enemy of the state and is wanted. They want him extradited and they will hear nothing else. All in all, the whole operation is kind of a bust. We simply have no interest in contact with anyone from your quadrant. Croden tries to convince Odo that he knows where a colony of his people are at. He shares a locket that shapeshifts like Odo does as proof. Better lock it in your pocket, taking this one to the grave. Odo buys it. Hook, line, and sinker. Of course, at the time, we as viewers probably did too, so let's try to keep that in mind as we go through this. Odo shares this locket with Dr. Bashir, who confirms it has organic material in it, and it kind of, sort of, resembles Odo's makeup. It's enough to get him to agree to take Croden to the alleged colony, and it's all going to happen because Sisko asks him to take Croden to his homeworld. They get creative so they can avoid the Miradorn ship, and they head through the wormhole. The Miradorn ship is scanning the freighter. Doesn't look like they're reading the runabout. The surviving twin, Akel, comes back to the station and threatens Quark. Because of that, he finds out Croden is on his way to the Gamma Quadrant. He's on the chase. They eventually intercept. Odo refuses to give up Croden, and the fight is on. The Miradorn ship is faster and stronger than the runabout, so Odo agrees to let Croden fly the ship. He heads into a nearby vortex, which also, conveniently, happens to be where the Changeling colony is supposed to be, and finds a safe spot to hide out, eventually landing on the asteroid where he says the colony is. After a few moments of exploring, it's clear that Croden has been lying the whole time. How much of it was true? Any of it? Any of it? No. No. Changelings are a myth, a story that they tell children on his homeworld. The locket is actually a special key that opens a thing that is on this asteroid. They head to it, and it's a stasis chamber holding Croden's daughter, the last surviving member of his family. Their reunion is broken up, though, when the Miradorn find them and start blasting the asteroid. They make their way back to the runabout and hide out in an anomaly. The Miradorn fire on them, hit the anomaly, which happens to be super volatile, and the runabout barely escapes, and the Miradorn ship is conveniently destroyed. Safe, 
Odo agrees to take Croden's daughter back to DS9 and watch over her. But then, a Vulcan ship swings by. This is the Vulcan science vessel, Travan. Having connected with Croden, Odo brokers a deal where they'll take him and his daughter to Vulcan where they can find safety. Don't thank me, I already regret it. He tells Croden's people that he was killed in the Miradorn attack, and apparently, everything's cool and copacetic again. Except now Odo has had a taste, an inkling, of where he came from. He's got a lot of reflecting and a lot of thinking to do. Home, where is it? Just about the halfway point of the first season of Deep Space Nine, have I shared on here that I really don't care much for this season? In fact, when people tell me they're going to watch DS9 for the first time, I recommend they watch Emissary and Duet and skip the rest of the season. And this one kind of backs that up. That said, this one had some notable firsts and did a lot to build up the Quark and Odo relationship. And speaking of Quark... Cut the Quark's glasses, run, come right now, go Quark, run! Are you a leader, a Star Trek fan? Do you love the lessons and strategies taught on the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast? Visit jeffakin.com forward slash store to get shirts, mugs, and other great merchandise to show off where you have learned all the great strategies and lessons that are taught on the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Visit jeffakin.com forward slash store or click on the link in the show notes to support the podcast and look good doing it. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. DS9, like pretty much all sci-fi from this time period, took a while to get its footing, to figure out what it really was. We have the advantage of being in the future and knowing where this series' story goes, but at the time, each episode was full of new information. At this point, we knew Odo could change shape and was from somewhere in the Gamma Quadrant, but that was it. So the idea of learning more about him was not only exciting for him, but for us as viewers as well. So it must have been disappointing when Croden's story turned out to be just that, a story. Knowing what we know now, though, Kind of thankful, because he got just about everything wrong about what they end up being. High level, I mean, he kind of got some stuff right. What we come to know as the solids, or us, yeah, we were pretty terrible to them. We forced them to live in isolation, eventually concocting schemes to make our lives terrible. And that is a gross, gross understatement. But outside of that, Odo's sentiment at the end really echoes mine. So what? I like to visit from the Vulcan science ship in this one. TNG and DS9 used Vulcans pretty sparingly. DS9 used them more than TNG, but, but when they do use them, it's really worth taking notice. This one was cool 
because it reminds us that Vulcans still have their own ships doing their own things. They haven't been entirely assimilated by the Federation, and yes, I kind of used that term intentionally. And then there were some really cool firsts in this episode. I already brought up that this is the first time we hear the term changeling in DS9. This becomes so common for us, they even use it all the way into the third season of Picard. It's kind of weird to remember that we didn't always know to call Odo that, right? And then there's Morn. If you like DS9, you know who Morn is. He's the big, kind of dumpy looking guy that is always sitting at the bar. Afternoon, everybody. The show uses him in fun ways, and we slowly learn about him and his race. We learn he's a Lorian, a race that mostly keep to their home planet in the Ionite Nebula. They have two stomachs, and they like to sleep in hot mud baths. Now, part of the joke, though, with Morn is that this dude never shuts up. Why, Morn here says you even bought the fellow a meal. Morn should keep his big mouth shut. Which is great, because he literally never speaks a single word on screen. On one hand, it shows us that we're just seeing snippets of the lives of the people on the show. But also, what a great and kind of stupid joke. They get a ton of mileage out of it through the series, and I love that it started the second that they introduced the character. Now, one of the questions I like to ask myself when watching shows, whether it's Star Trek, Babylon 5, or anything else with an overarching storyline is, what purpose did this episode serve? Like, in the bigger story of the series, why this episode? And why now? Have I been gone that long? Have you forgotten everything? I am Arthur, son of Uther Pendragon and king of the Britons. No man takes Excalibur from me and lives. And to be honest, this one doesn't do much. I mean, maybe like two things. But those two things are cornerstones of the story of Deep Space Nine, so I guess I can't get too upset about it. So first, it drives home Odo's drive to learn his history and heritage. That becomes a massively huge issue that I talked about in the 77th episode of the podcast when we watched DS9's Behind the Lines. Like, he literally turned his back on and betrayed his crew for the chance to learn more about his people and to connect with them. The second thing it did was further establish the relationship between him and Quark. This is a constant through the series. This won't be so bad. Ah, I have no interest in speaking to you. And even before it, these are the people that worked on the station during both Cardassian occupations and when the Federation was in charge with the Bajorans. Their relationship runs deep and grows throughout the series. And this episode did a lot to establish that early on. Command codes verified. There are a lot of qualities, skills, and abilities that differentiate a strong leader from other people. We talk about them on every episode of this podcast. But there are also skills and abilities that differentiate strong managers from others. And we're going to talk about one of the most critical ones. The ability to set clear expectations with measurable outcomes and defined parameters for both success and for failure. In an episode that was just a beat-by-beat beat telling of a story, 
Commander Sisko steps in to show us what that looks like. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support this podcast. I might be alone in this thinking, but I hope I'm not. I believe that almost every single person wants to do a good job at work. Like, they might not want to be a superstar or a top producer. They might not be wanting to do great work, but most people want to do well. In my experience, though, most management styles and even HR shops are built around the assumption that people want to do the bare minimum. They're trying to get away with doing as little as possible. Now, this is just my theory, but it's based on a lot of years of working in different industries and places. Now, to be fair, yes, I've worked with people that were just trying to collect a paycheck and not work as much as possible. But in over 30 years of working, honestly, there have been like, I don't know, like 10, 10 of them, maybe. My experience is that most people want to do something they're proud of and they want to do it fairly well. Also, in my experience, the key difference between someone being able to show up and do a good job and not being able to do that is having a clear understanding of what is expected in the job. What's the job? The person doing the job, their manager and the big shots they report to should be able to describe in plain and understandable language what they do, why they're doing it, and how well they need to do it. All three of these things are critical. Now notice I am not saying how it needs to be done. If you've paid attention to previous episodes, like episodes 80 and 83, you've heard that a lot of the time, the how can look different based on the individual and how much competence and clarity they have about the task. But all the way up and down the proverbial chain, people should be able to plainly describe the what, the why, and quality of work that is being done. Here's a very real example from a local bank I worked with recently. There was a small team, or two people, that processed loan application documents into their system. This wasn't their only job, but it was a primary duty for them. It was essentially uploading documents that clients or applicants brought or mailed in and then updating those applications. When I asked the team what they did, they said, Well, look, I already told you. I deal with the customers so the engineers don't have to. I have people skills. Okay, not really. I'm Not really at all. I'm just kidding. But what they actually said was, We upload documents to their application. Period. That's it. They understood this was to move the application forward, but that was really all that they understood about it. One of the team members told me their manager told them when they made a mistake, but but they didn't have any idea if they were making an acceptable amount of mistakes or not. So I talked to the manager. They had all the details and stuff, right? They said they scan and upload required documents to the application so the people applying for the loan can get the funding for their dream. The manager explained that she thought of their work, like the purpose of what they did was to make dreams come true. Little editorial by me, they make dreams come true at a 10.99% APR. They then hit the third point after I asked a little bit by telling me that she expected 99.5% of the work to be done without error. The team are, after all, only human. 
but this hit everything. What? Uploading documents. Why? To help make dreams come true or to continue the loan application process, depending on your perspective and quality, 99.5% accuracy. Now, if you're where I'm at, you're seeing that disconnect. The manager sure says all the right things, but the team, the team, the two people doing this work, they've got no idea. When I finished my mapping and recommendations for the team, I reported out using the making dreams come true statement. And one of the people doing the work actually laughed. (laughs) They said they had never heard that said before. In an ideal situation, I would have heard the same gist, maybe even the same words from both the team and their manager. But in this case, in the case of a lot of workplaces, the manager's idea of the work exists in their head and maybe in reports up through the hierarchy. But their idea of the work is disconnected from the people actually doing the work. There was a moment in this episode of Deep Space Nine that I loved. Yeah, pretty much only one moment. (laughs) But Cisco played out exactly what managers should do. This is early on in the show. Croden has been arrested and he's in his cell. He's resting and trying to get someone to bring him some food. Cisco is here, though, for the sole purpose of providing clear direction. He wants to be certain that Croden has heard what the situation is, what is happening, and what he needs to do to make it through this process. I want you to understand exactly what's going to happen. I love this so much. In my bank example, this is precisely what the manager should have done. Make it crystal clear what is going to happen, why it's going to happen, and how well it needs to happen. At the end of any work shift or work day, everyone should be able to look at the work they've done and know if they've done a good job or not. Did they meet expectations? And the only way to get there is clear, consistent communication on what a good job looks like and what it doesn't look like. On top of providing the guides to the person working on doing that good job that most people want to do... I did good, Meg! It also gives the manager the framework to correct and coach bad work and, if necessary, terminate the person if they don't step up and meet the expectations. Let's talk about that a little bit. Terminating someone or firing them or dismissing them or whatever your company chooses to call it is something I don't think we talk about enough. It is almost never comfortable to fire someone. In fact, it almost always sucks. But when you've worked to provide crystal clear expectations, a roadmap to success, if you will, then anyone you have to fire will fall into one of two categories and both are a lot more comfortable to work through. The first category is gross misconduct. This is the person assaulting customers or harassing their teammates. Clear unacceptable, and sometimes illegal behavior. This is the firing. Sometimes feels kind of good. I'll never forget this person I terminated from a movie theater that I managed. They were cleaning a theater between showings, and they, they, um, well, they inappropriately touched a co-worker while pressuring them to, ah, uh, well, we'll just say pressuring them to go on a date. The person complained to me, I made a quick phone call to HR, sent dude home, and fired him the next day. You're fired! 
felt good. But then there's the other category. These are the people that are, to use some HR language, that are either unable or unwilling to meet the expectations that you have clearly communicated. This still kind of sucks to do, but, but here's the thing. If you were clear with your expectations, hitting on the what, the why, and the how well, and you told the person where they were at and gave them parameters on improving, when it's time to let them go, you can rest easy. You were clear. You gave the tools for them to be successful, like appropriate training, and you were transparent about how they were performing compared to those expectations. Now, they've basically made a choice to not perform at the level they should be, and firing them is really, it's simply facilitating that choice. That's it. I think I count success when I terminate someone and they were expecting it. They knew it was coming. That means I did my job communicating expectations and being transparent and clear on where they stood. Now, it's still sad, and I still hate doing it, but I know I'm making the right choice based on the choices that they've been making. But all of this is moot if you don't follow the example of Cisco. I'm going to play the clip again. I want you to understand exactly what's going to happen. This is where you need to be. This is how you need to be communicating with your teams and the people you work with. Notice the first phrase of this. I want you to understand. I want, right? You want them to understand. So you tell them the what, the why, and how well, and you tell them a lot. You tell them all the time. Provide clarity through consistent and almost constant communication. If you, as the manager, describe what success looks like the exact same way the people doing the work describe it, mission accomplished. Well done. Communicating crystal clear expectations and providing that roadmap to success will give everyone the framework necessary to do what most people want to do. A good job. A job they can have pride in. And all you have to do is tell them what that is. I want to share a really cool podcast with you. But to call it a podcast really does it a disservice because I think it is much more than that. Victoria and T host Star Trek Sundays. You can find it at StarTrekSundaysPodcast.com. But this is an experience. Yeah. I like that better than podcast. It's an experience that looks at philosophy through the lens of Star Trek. They pick a topic or a theme and then curate two episodes of Star Trek that speak to that. They invite their community to a watch party of the episodes on Saturdays and then host an interactive discussion on the theme through those episodes on Sundays. I really encourage you to check them out at StarTrekSundaysPodcast.com. I also encourage you to connect with me. I'm on Twitter and Mastodon at SFLA Podcast, and you can follow me on Instagram at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T. as in twins, A-K-I-N. I haven't done the threads thing yet, but if you're there, eh, let me know. Now, before we get to the next episode, I want to share a quick personal update. My family is going to take a little time as our summer break winds to a close, we're going to do some fun things. So you won't see another episode of the podcast for about a month. I'm going to take this next round off. During my break, if you haven't already, 
I recommend taking some time for you as well. Whatever that self-care looks like, take some time and do exactly that. So, let's see what we're going to be watching when we come back. Computer, what are we going to be watching next time? Working. Oh, we got an episode from the third season of Enterprise. We're watching that season a little differently. It is hyper-serialized with each episode leading into the next. So whenever an episode from that season comes up, we go to the next one in story order, which for us is the second episode of the third season, Anomaly. In this one, the Enterprise becomes a target for pirates and raiders in the Delphic Expanse as they continue their search for the Zindi. I'm excited to return and watch this one with you. And until then, Ex Astra Scientia! Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interviews. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.